audio check. Hey everyone, today's episode is really cool. So one thing I wanted to say is before you listen to this, and the reason why I think this this episode is actually important, not only to get the information um, from this pharmacist that he's going to talk about, but it's the fact that he found something that he's super passionate about that he's doing. Um, he was able to mix it with pharmacy, but just wanted to really harp on the importance of as you're grinding, as you're working hard and working towards becoming um, a great pharmacist, a great professional, specializing, whatever the case may be, make sure to see if you could find something that you're super passionate about. And if it, you can involve pharmacy with that, great. Um, if it has nothing to do with pharmacy, that's fine as well. But just try to see if you could find that. And um, this gentleman, David Perry, found that in writing fiction books about pharmacy. So hope you enjoy. Welcome to another episode of RX Radio. I am your host, Richard Waith, and I have on here with me David Perry. Perry, David, sorry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on here because you're you're a pharmacist, um, but you're also a an author. And it's funny that the timing of this because I was recently at a conference and I was talking about how it's important to kind of have that work life balance and how you know, especially as People get really into their careers and focused on just kind of, you know, really becoming a specialist in something that sometimes they kind of kind of take their mind off that and do other things. And I think it's really interesting to see that, you know, you're into um, writing um, uh, fiction books, essentially. And I'm, I'm really excited to dive deeper and talk and talk about that. So um, can you start off by telling the listeners just a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. Uh, um, obviously, as you said, I'm a pharmacist. Um, I graduated. I've been a pharmacist for 36 years, so I graduated back in '83. Uh, um, and I've always been interested in writing, even when I was a pharmacist. Um, I spent the I spent the first 11 years of my career working in hospitals. I was a a clinical pharmacist at a, a regional hospital here in Virginia, and then I moved to the community side and. Uh, worked in retail and have been working in retail for the last 25 years. I work for a for a major chain in in southeastern Virginia, um, and you know I I just love our profession. I know we have our challenges and we have our stresses and we have our um, our, our obstacles that we have to overcome. However, um, the connection with the patients uh, for me is just wonderful, especially when we do immunizations and things of that nature, um, and. As a writer, um, I've chosen to write about our profession. Now it's fiction, so it's uh, I write suspense thrillers, but it revolves around pharmacists, the pharmacy profession, the medical professions, and things like that. And I think that it's uh, important for the general public to understand a lot about what we do uh, and the challenges we face and some of the things that go on. So um, I've combined that with uh, my fiction writing. Um, and it's been very, very rewarding. Um, and it, it does provide me with a great deal of, um, as you say, work-life balance. Um, when I'm not working, I'm writing, um, and it takes my mind off of some of the things that go on at work. Um, but work also provides me with a lot of fodder for ideas for books and plots and scenes and things of that nature. So I definitely want to get into kind of the, uh, you know, the creative process. But, um, but first, I want to know, like, what got you into like what gave you the ideas like I'm going to write a fiction book like how did that come about 
Well, it actually uh, started, interestingly enough, when I was in my, um, I want to say it was in, uh, now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm not a farm D I'm a, I'm a BS prepared pharmacist. I'm an RPH. And I was in my third year of pharmacy school and I went to the Massachusetts college of pharmacy up in Boston. And I'll never forget the day when I decided I wanted to do that. I was in the student lounge. It was in between classes and I was reading, I was reading a novel by Robert Ludlum. Um, a lot of your listeners may be familiar with him. Um, he wrote the Born series, the uh, Born Identity, the Born Supremacy, and the Born Ultimatum, which have been made into movies with Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. But I read those novels back in the late uh, in, in the early '80s when I was in pharmacy school, and I was in the student lounge that day, and I was reading a book. I think it was the Born Ultimatum. And I was just so caught up and sucked into the character and where the character was and how he described the scenes. And I just felt like I was there. And I said, um, I would really like to do this someday. So over the course of a few years, I graduated from pharmacy school. I dabbled a little bit with writing. And then after about 10 years, um, I decided I'm going to write my first book. And so that's what prompted me to to, to do that. Um, so I've always been an avid reader. Um, I read a lot when I'm not at work um, and, and I'm, you know, um, writing. So um, it's just it's just something that I love to do. Mm-hmm. And um, it's always something I've um, had a passion about. So being that you've always been a reader, what has it been like for you in terms of the new wave of audiobooks and podcasts and things like that? How's that how's that kind of fit into your life of con- consuming some of these stories? Uh, as a matter of fact, I do consume audiobooks. I mean, I um when I'm whenever I'm driving, if my wife and I are on a trip or we're going on vacation, we'll pop in an audiobook. Um I do a lot of listening when I'm driving. Um podcasts, I do listen to those occasionally. Uh, but for the most part, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big consumer of ebooks and uh, general print books. Um, I guess I'm a little bit of a dinosaur that way. But the audiobooks and the electronic books are the wave of the future. I would envision that probably within the next, I would guess, 30 to 50 years, we'll probably probably see no no print books uh, as the as the new generations come forward. We won't we won't see a whole lot of printed matter. Yeah, I, and it's it's interesting you say that because. Even in today's world, I mean, I have a book out as well, and um, it, it's much different to you know the type of writing that you do because mine is nonfiction. But what I found is that it's actually the majority of people that are purchasing the books on my on my end. I'm seeing that it's it's mostly probably 95 percent of it is actually hard copies. It's not you know the digital version of it. Is that do you that, find it, kind of see something similar? Uh, that's interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, it's kind of 50-50. Um, uh, you know, I sell a lot of printed copies when I'm actually at book signings or I'm doing lectures. I recently did a lecture here at the local call, uh, university on writing, and I obviously sold a lot of hard copies there. But a lot of my online stuff, I have folks that order ebooks and audiobooks. Um, so it's more of a 50-50 split. I don't know if that has something to do with the fact that uh, yours is nonfiction and mine's fiction. Hmm. I, I think I think in fiction, I think a lot of a lot of folks generally I think gravitate towards the ebooks and the audiobooks, especially because you know you can you can bring your phone or your iPad with you and you can have thousands of books on your on your device and uh, you don't have to carry them with you you know when you carry a hardcover co- uh, book uh, it's obviously very cumbersome to do that um, but yours is a nonfiction book so it's probably that's probably has more to, uh, to do with it I think than than um, 
than anything else. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, give us a quick, uh, quick synopsis. Like, what are, what are these stories about? Um, let, give the what are the listeners expecting if they're you know deciding to see if they can um, you know jump into one of your stories? Sure, sure, absolutely. As I said, uh, my 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 stories revolve around pharmacists and pharmacy. So, I've written about what I know and what I'm comfortable with, and and I guess you could say I've spent 35 years researching uh, these books. I want the I want the readers to be able to understand that we as a lot of folks have this impression of retail pharmacists of as as folks who stand behind a counter and they they count pills and put them into a bottle and slap a label on them and then and then they uh and they dispense them to the patient and as you and i both know that our profession is a lot more complicated than that and it's all we do a lot more things than just uh count pills especially on the retail side um so my 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 first char- my first protagonist my first hero is a name a uh, pharmacist named Jason Rogers who goes back to uh, a funeral for his mentor where he hooks up with his um, former love who happens to be his mentor's daughter and they have a conversation and in that conversation Jason figures out that um, he has some suspicions about how his mentor died and so they delve into um, why that is and they think they've uncovered an insurance scam now when they think it's an insurance scam they think it's on the pharmacy side so the reader gets a a glimpse into what goes on behind the counter of a retail pharmacy in terms of the way it operates the way they bill the way they um the way they do things however as the plot advances uh, the reader will discover that it's a lot more in depth and it's a lot more widespread than just an insurance scam, and it has worldwide uh, catastrophic implications for for the for the pharmacist and for the country as a whole. Hmm. That is interesting. <laughs> it is. I, I am, think so. I'm like, uh, it was on fun edge writing. right now here, actually listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun to write it, and. Um, there are some interesting plot twists, um, and then I have a second book in that series. The the first book was titled The Cyclops Conspiracy. That involves Jason Rogers, and I recently uh, released about a year ago the sequel to that called Cyclops Revenge. I'm currently working on a third book in that series, which will be out hopefully next year, and they're all going to be titled something with uh, Cyclops in the title. So the next book will be The Cyclops Reprisal, and the, fo- the fourth book in that series, which should be the final one, will be called The Cyclops Holocaust. Um, and then I have another book out called Second Chance, which um, bring, brought me back into the hospital side of things. Um, it's uh, about a pharmacist named Alex Benedict, who is a clinical pharmacist in a regional hospital here in Virginia, who discovers that patients are dying. And he investigates and finds out that they're being experimented on um, illegally. Wow. And I can't, I can't give a whole lot more on, in terms of what happens without giving away too much. However, it's, um, it turns into a very sinister plot and he's right in the middle of it and he's got to try to fix it and, you know, figure out how to stop it. Yeah. That, that also will be a trilogy. Um, once I finish the Cyclops, uh, series, I'm going to move back to that one. That's awesome. That, that, that sounds like very intriguing stuff. And, I'm wondering if, you know, maybe some pharmacies will kind of gather and do like some form of a book club or something and like maybe start talking about this more. I think that's I would love to I would love to be able to be a part of that. I think, um, as I said, our our profession is um, I call us even though we are 
uh, as pharmacists, we are everywhere in the community. Um, people know us because they come into our pharmacies and they see us every day. But I call the pharmacists your unsung heroes of healthcare. I mean, everybody thinks about doctors and nurses and hospitals, but we see the patients, especially on the retail side. We see patients at least, you know, at least once or twice a month, maybe more. Um, so we're a lot more familiar with what their issues are, what their challenges are. And, um, and I, uh, you know, I honestly think that we don't get enough credit for what we do, even though we are so ubiquitous in society. And um, that's why I call us the unsung heroes of healthcare. Yeah, we can. And I'm sure we can all agree to that. It's just, you know, this is a great way of potentially getting that word out. So that's that's really interesting. Now, what's your what's the creative process like for you? Um, you know, how long does it take to, to write one of these things? Um, kind of give us maybe a stepwise approach or just what, how you approach these things and what's that process like? Sure, sure. Um, for the first three books that I've written, as I said, The Cyclops Conspiracy, The Cyclops Revenge and Second Chance, I basically started off with a character. Um, so I started with my hero, either Jason Rogers or Alex Benedict. And basically what I did is over the course of say three to five months, I would flesh out what I wanted the character to be, who I wanted them to be, what their, what their strengths were, what their weaknesses are. And, um, and after I did that, and I'll, I'll de- I develop a whole dossier on each character. Um, then I'll start thinking about a plot. Now, as I develop the characters, I do have an idea for what my plot line is going to be, but it's not completely fleshed out. I want my my stories to be character driven. I want the reader to empathize with the character and say, you know what, I can empathize with the way this character thinks and what they're going through. Um, so for me, that's very important. So I develop the the, the hero first, and then I and then I'll de- develop the antagonist or the the anti-hero, uh, and then. Then I will once I know them inside and out and I have a complete understanding for how that character is. And again, this is fiction. So I have to I have to kind of make some of this up, but it's based in reality. Uh, Once I have that 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 feel for those characters, then I will sit down and start thinking about a plot. And, And it's interesting because. Uh, this is a common theme with uh, fiction writers is do you develop characters first or you develop a plot first? Um, I like to develop the characters first. And then you sit down and you try to outline a plot. And it happened with all three books. I developed a plot. You come up with an outline and say, okay, this is going to happen and then this is going to happen next. And before you know it, after you're about 20 or 25 pages into your first draft, you're totally off the outline because the characters are telling you where you need to go and your characters are telling you what needs to happen. So it becomes more of a, after that, it becomes more of a seat of the pants type of process where you're kind of taken, taken where the character leads you. Um, And sometimes it takes you in places you totally didn't expect. And that's, that's what happened with my first book, the Cyclops conspiracy. The, the climax ends up uh, in a place where I had no idea it was going to end up, but it, I think it worked and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on it. Yeah. One thing I was curious about is, you know, I'm just kind of imagining, you know, someone kind of on a computer writing, 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 and all of a sudden like they just get like an aha moment and then plot change. And even to them, it's like a surprise that the idea even came and, you know, you get excited because it could potentially, you know, you know, be a serious addition to the story. So does that kind of thing happen often or is it rare or? 
Well, with the uh, with the Cyclops uh, book series of books, uh, with the first book that did the second book, it's been not so much. It's I've I've been able to stay on a course where I thought it was going to go because I know the characters pretty well, so I kind of had a feel for how the the book was going to be fleshed out. Um, with Second Chance, since that was the first book in a series, uh, it, it did it, it did go in some directions that I totally didn't expect it to go to go into. As a matter of fact, when I was writing Second Chance. Um, I wrote about 250 pages of my first draft and I got to a point in the plot where I I said, this is not working. So I actually had to ditch of a hundred pages and and go back to where I was and, and kind of rethink certain things. Um, and, and that's, that's part of the creative process. You know, we, we, as authors, um, sometimes you get to, you get somewhere where you don't want to be and you have to backtrack and rethink it but it made the it made the 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 finished product a lot better it's interesting that you you know talk about having to go back it's you know when when i was writing um the nonfiction book it's all the information essentially i already had you know i didn't really have to make it up it's more so just being able to communicate it effectively and organize the book in a format that kind of makes sense but for you it's like these things are just kind of coming out of nowhere, you know, and when I say nowhere, obviously we have, you know, our experiences in the pharmacy, but it's all stuff that you are, you're crafting um, yourself. It's not something that was kind of already there. That's essentially factual, but. Uh, You you make a very good point. And I've spoken to other nonfiction folks that have written nonfiction books and and it's a common theme. You know, I I have a great deal of respect for uh, all writers, of course, but when you're writing nonfiction, um, it's, it's very important, obviously, to stay to the heart and, and to make sure the details, as you mentioned, are correct and how you present those details in a creative fashion is very, very challenging. So in some ways, the non, I think the nonfiction writer has it a lot harder than a fiction writer because my goal as a fiction author is to keep the reader entertained because I want them to keep turning pages in the story. However, if I feel something's not exciting enough, I can go back and change how something happens or I can change how um, a read, um, uh, a hero will react so that I have that ability to be flexible. Whereas with the nonfiction, you guys have to stay true to the facts. You don't, you don't want to obviously want to be making stuff up. You mm-hmm. want it to be truly factual. And to me, I think that's a lot harder to do. I really do. Even though you have the facts, it's very, very challenging to present those facts in an entertaining way. So, you know, I, I give you guys a lot of credit. That's, that's hard to do. Yeah. Well, one thing that I would say is, is, harder or or potentially harder in terms of fiction is that when you're writing a nonfiction book, it's almost impossible to get um, writer's block, you know? Um, it, it, everything that you need to write down is basically already there. You just need to kind of get it on on pen and pa- You know, you just got to put the pen and paper essentially. But it seems True. like, and, and maybe you can, you know, maybe clear this up or, or reaffirm that there's a high potential for writer's block if you're writing something that's fiction. <laughs> True. That's true. And I have run into that, uh, oh, you know, several times during the, my writing process. And what it boils down to for me is when I develop a little bit of a writer's block and I'm not sure I'll sometimes I'll sit in front of the computer and I'll nothing's coming. There's a common denominator for me that seems to be that if I do a little bit more research, no matter how hard, how, how much I've researched my particular 
topic or that particular scene or where I want it to take place. Um, if I do a little bit more research, sometimes that just kind of releases the dam, so to speak, and everything starts flowing again. I, I had writer's block when I was writing The Cyclops Conspiracy when I was about halfway through it, and I was writing a particular scene. And I just, nothing was coming. So what I did was, I because I write about local places, I'm here in southeastern Virginia, I'm in uh, the Newport News, Virginia Beach area. So what I did was I drove to where that particular scene was going to take place with no no intent, there was no, I wasn't looking for anything, I just went to the scene so that I could picture how things were going to happen, and suddenly I could start writing again. And it was just as simple as that. So I don't know that curing all writer's block is as simple as doing that. But for me, it helped. Yeah. Um, and I've had a couple of other instances when I was writing where if I just went back to maybe research a particular topic or I went to a particular uh, area, um, it seems to unlock the uh, unlock the key, so to speak. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So what's the publishing journey like? How is it that you are you know, getting these books printed and, um, you know, getting the word out there about, uh, or, or at least get, allowing the consumers to buy an audiobook and things like that. Are, are you doing the audiobook? Are you, um, is, it, is it an actor? How, how does that work for you? Sure. Let me give you a little history about my publishing journey. I decided, um, I think it was back in 2006 when I you know, actually decided I was finally going to sit down and write a novel. As I said, I dabbled for it for years, but I said, okay, it's time. I'm going to do it. And I did. And I, I spent about four and a half years writing the Cyclops conspiracy. And when I was done, I had a manuscript that was about a thousand pages long. And my wife has a friend in Florida who was actually a published author. And so Anne was going to send it to her to read. And this lady's first question was, how long, I mean, how long is the book? And Anne told her and she said, nope, don't even bother sending it. I'm not going to read it. It's way too long. You have to have it professionally edited and get it. Uh, you need to cut down the number of pages. So the, the next, the next thing I did was I hired an editor who worked with me for over the course of six or seven months through a couple of different drafts. And he had a lot of, excellent, excellent suggestions on how to um, pare down my story, how to structure my scenes and my chapters, where to begin them, where to end them. And I will tell you, this gentleman was brutal. He was brutal. He would <laughs> he would take my manuscript and he would read it. And after about two months, he sent it back to me. And I, I and this is not a lie. I was I was almost in tears when I was reading his comments. I thought, oh my God, my my journey is over before it's began. Mm -hmm. Began. I'll I'll never be a writer. But I incorporated about ninety to ninety five percent of his suggestions, and it made my story a lot stronger, a lot faster, um, a lot easier to read. Um, and so then after that was done, it was um, time to go out and sell the book, try to sell it to an agent or a publisher. So I, just as every writer in the world does, we I have my stack of rejection letters or a stack of um, printed rejection emails. Um, and we took a while. I have about 150 of them. So I, at that point, I finally hooked up with a publisher out of Austin, Texas, and called Synergy Books. And they, um, they had my manuscript and we were, we were working on it and we were about, about three months from going to print. They had my, my manuscript, my artwork, my interior design work, and I stopped hearing from them. So I immediately got concerned after about three weeks, I wasn't hearing from them anymore. 
So I, I called up someone who happened to be at a neighboring business because we were doing this all through email. And this, this was a reputable company. They were actually had published a book by Jack Ford, who was an NBC correspondent. Um, so they were, they were at the time they were doing that. It was a very, it was a very reputable company. Well, after three weeks, I hadn't heard from them. So I, I went over to, um, I called this company next to them and said, Hey, can you go over and see what's going on with these guys at Synergy Books? Cause I haven't heard from them in three weeks. He called me back about an hour later and said, um, you know what? There's a sign on the door. Those guys went out of business. Oh, I, no. I, I immediately was like, went into panic because they had all my material. They had the book, they had the artwork and I thought I had lost it all. Well, it just turns out like a lot of publishers, they were having some financial problems and they went out of business. I got all my materials back um, through the bankruptcy court. And at that point, I had a decision to make. Do I want to go through that route again? Or And self-publishing was starting to be on the upswing. So I decided that I was going to self-publish it. I created my own publishing company called Pettigrew Enterprises. And um, I contacted a company that does distribution and warehouse and printing services in Ohio. And they printed my book. And when I went to them, I told them, I said, look, a lot of, a lot of folks that do self-publishing will do eBooks and they'll do print on demand type paperbacks. I told them I wanted hardcovers. I wanted a, a dust jacket. I wanted it to be embossed. Basically I told them I want it to look like it belongs in Barnes and Noble, right next to the John Grishams and the David Baldacci's. And they did an excellent job. They printed off these wonderful hardcover editions. Uh, we followed it up with paperbacks, uh, ebooks, audiobooks, and the like. Um, and so that, that was basically my journey. It, it went through a couple of obstacles and had a couple of hiccups, but we got there. Um, and it's, it's something I would, I would, would do all over again if I, if I was told I was going to go through all these. Uh, obstacles, I would do it again in a heartbeat. It's been it's been incredibly rewarding, incredibly rewarding. Yeah, I think it, you know it used to be the standard and the only way essentially to get a book out had to have been you know going through a publisher. But just the way that you know modern technology has really kind of taken over that space and just made it so easy to um, become a self publisher. Uh, it just makes sense, and you know you get to control all the economics, you get to control all the decision-making about everything. So it just it really does make sense in a lot of ways. And that's true. And one of the things I've learned in the process is if you do go with the traditional publishing route and, and they do a print run on your book and uh, you do you do give up the rights as the author when you um, go to a traditional publisher. So you might give up the rights for, say, five years. If they do an initial print run and they're not happy with the sales, um, they may not decide to do a, a second print run. And if that's the case, then you're kind of stuck. Uh, because they own the rights. Uh, the rights do eventually return back to the author at some point, usually in most standard contracts. However, um, as a self-published author with my own self-publishing uh, company, it's I, I, as you said, I am in complete control over what happens with my work, whether I just decide to do another print run, if I want to do audiobook, if I want to do an ebook, if I want to distribute overseas. Um, it's It's... It, it's it's a little bit more, a lot more work, but it's uh, it's much more satisfying. And what about the audiobook? How did you get that one done? Um, well, I went through um, ACX, which is a company owned by um, Amazon, which is a part of Audible. Audible owns ACX, and they, that is the uh, so so to speak the creation arm of the audiobook um, uh, 
company called Audible. Amazon Amazon owns them, and uh, you can put your book out there as a project. And you hook up with these potential narratives. You can, and they, there's a whole range of prices in terms of what they charge you in terms of produce the book. Um, and then they work on it, and you pay per finished hour. So if your audiobook is 15, um, 15 hours long, and the narrative charges you $100 an hour per finished hour, then it'll cost you about $1,500 to. Um, to, to produce the audiobook and then you can put it on their platform um now you can definitely go with uh, narrators who are maybe have a more distinctive voice or it's a, a famous personality that will obviously cost you more but it's um it's really not that difficult it's really not that difficult and now there's there's other audio production companies out there that that will produce your audiobooks for you and i think it pretty much works the same way it's um it's definitely in today's world, um, and Audible does a great job of promoting the services. So it's definitely an avenue every author should consider. Yeah, yeah, I'm still slacking on mine. I gotta I gotta do my audiobook, <laughs> um, but I, I was gonna do it myself. Like I think I might have my own voice be like the the recording of it. So I got all the right. studio stuff here set up. So yeah, yeah. As as someone who does a podcast, I'm I'm sure you do. I. I'll be honest with you as a writer, I don't have the patience to sit down and record my own audio, um, audio book. I don't like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> um, and I don't have the patience to do it. Um, so I, I let the professionals handle it. Yeah, it makes sense. That makes sense. So I know you had spoken about a, a book, you mentioned the title earlier that is coming out soon, but is there anything that you might be, you know, that's in the back of your mind that, you know, who knows might not even see the light of day that you're thinking about that could come out maybe in the next, you know, after the your current projects are completed and anything that you're working on that's coming out? That's well, coming I have out? I have several ideas that are always floating around in in the back of my mind and they are all related to the profession of pharmacy. You know, there's different lots of different angles that um that we could i could pursue as an author and even if it's on the fiction side you know you know we've heard of all the issues that um, we've had with uh, the supply supply chain management a lot of drug shortages and why that occurs you know uh, there's a lot of drug companies out there that are you know having drugs manufactured overseas there are a lot of overseas manufacturers um that sell their drugs in the united states and there's, um, as we all know, sometimes there's not enough oversight. The FDA doesn't have the ability to get to these overseas manufacturers. And I think, you know, a lot of the problems we've had with the with the Valsartans and the Losartans um, are a supply chain. Um, the the, the um, amount of product that they're getting or the type of product that they're getting could be contaminated because of there, there are supply chain issues. And I think there's some great fiction that could be written about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, immunizations um there's there's so i have i don't have anything completely fleshed out yet but i do have a lot of ideas in the pipeline yeah i don't know if this one's in in your pipeline but uh, i think it would be a really interesting read would be you know pharmacy in you know 50 years and like how automation might be able to come into play and maybe going through that that transition to where things are getting extremely automated. I don't know. I'm wondering if that's, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that would be a very interesting, especially as it relates, I could see the, 
the uh, juxtaposition, so to speak, of um, a traditional pharmacy role versus challenge, being challenged by the automation. There's there's a lot, you know, as good fiction is brought on by having conflict, by having, you know, two forces that oppose each other, whether it's two people or, you know, in a person in an institution that you're, you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, that would be that would could be some great fiction because you're talking about the traditional pharmacist role versus um, the advent of automation, which we all know is coming. Um, and who knows what the profession of pharmacy is going to look like in 50 years. Yeah. Well, if you do write that book, I hope my name's in the acknowledgement acknowledgements. So <laughs> I will definitely, I will definitely, definitely have you on that list. And you and I will sit down and have a conversation and talk about it. Absolutely. Awesome, Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So, um, last, last main question. So if you had to take someone out to dinner that is alive, and it has to be famous and potentially have a Wikipedia page, who would that person be and why? Oh, man, that's a very interesting question. I'm, I wasn't prepared for it. So give me just a <laughs> second while I uh, roll through my mental Rolodex yeah. of um, potential persons. Um, oh, well, uh, and this is I'm this is not a political statement. I am not I'm not. um supporting or, you know, denigrating uh, this particular person. But one person I would definitely like to take to dinner and ask a bunch of questions of would be Donald Trump. Um, As I said, I'm uh, I'm not going to say whether I support or don't support him, but just his personality, his um, egocentricity, his um, just the way he carries himself. Obviously, he's been very successful in business, and that has, to some degree, I guess, translated into the political spectrum because he's become president of the United States. Yeah. I would love to sit down with him and have a conversation and try to figure out what makes him tick. Um, that would be that would be one that would be very um, very interesting. Another person that that is still alive that um, I think I'm, I'm I grew up in New England. I moved to Virginia after I graduated from pharmacy school. So I'm a big um, New England sports fan. And there's two people in New England who are big sports folks, you know, famous in New England and, and throughout the country. And obviously one of them is Tom Brady, the quarterback for the Patriots. Um, he, you know, obviously is number one in his field. He's the best. I think he's the best quarterback that that's ever lived. Um, and I don't just say that because I'm a new England Patriots fan. I just think the way, uh, his accomplishments, but yeah, that's just I w- facts. <laughs> it's, it's just facts, yeah. <laughs> but he, he seems to carry himself with a great deal of dignity. He always seems to do the right thing. Um, and even when he was going through the controversy with the deflated footballs, whether he's guilty or not, um, he, he seemed to carry himself with a great deal of professionalism and dignity. I would like to sit down and talk to him as well. The second person is somebody that I idolized. He's a hockey player, played for the Bruins back in the 70s, and that was Bobby Orr, um, one, one of the best defensemen that lives, um, I think, and uh, revolutionized the, the way defensemen play hockey uh, because he was, um, he was the first offensive defenseman uh, to ever play in the national hockey league. And he, um, revolutionized the game. And when I was nine years old and the, the Bruins won the Stanley cup, it was, um, it was just magical as far as I was concerned. So I would love to sit down and pick his brain. He went through some controversy later in his life because, um, 
his agent, Alan Eagleson, was actually somebody who defrauded him out of millions and millions of dollars. He could have been a part of he could have been a part owner of the Boston Bruins, but he wasn't paying attention. And this uh, this agent of his, I guess, uh, stole millions from him. So I'd be interested in talking to him. Interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, to your first point, it doesn't really matter whether you support him or not. I would be interested to talk to him as well. Like I have a bunch of questions and like to see like what is going on with a couple things. So um, I think anyone could probably say, yeah, I'd probably do that too. But Yeah, yeah. You know, it's um, – there's – I'm sure as soon as I hang up from this phone call and, and we're done with this podcast, I'll think of five or six other people that I would uh, that I would love to talk to. But maybe I'll shoot you an email and I'll let you know. Yeah, sounds good. So how can people connect back with you if they um, want to continue the conversation and also let us know where your books are available? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the first place they want to check out is my website. It's davidperrybooks.com. Um, that has all the information. If they want to reach out to me via email, there's a contact tab on the website. They can shoot me an email and I'll, I'll be happy to contact them if they have questions. Uh, my books are available in hardcover. They're available in paperback. They're available in ebooks. They're available in audiobooks, um, and they're available in all on all major online retailers: um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, anywhere you, anywhere books are sold, you can get my books. They can also purchase if they want signed copies. They can purchase it through my website. They can just go to the shopping the shopping tab, um, tell me what they want as an inscription, and I and I can I can get that sent out to them. And I'd love to hear from. Um, from any of them, especially pharmacists. I always, always like to hear from pharmacists because uh, we have great conversations. It's amazing when you, as a pharmacist, talk to a colleague who maybe works across the com- uh, country and you talk about your challenges at work. You talk about the things that you face every day, the stresses, you know, not having, um, not having enough help and being overworked and um, interruptions. And it seems that um, no matter who you talk to, we all have the same things in common and we all are, you know, have the same goals. We want, we want to take care of the patients. We want to make their lives easier. We want to make their lives better. And, um, it, it, it's, it's, I love talking to pharmacists. So tell them to tell them to shoot me an email or send me, send me something through the website. Will do. And I'll put all that information into the show notes so people can get easy access. David, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Richard, it's it's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. I hope we get to do it again and uh, uh, look forward to talking to you once more. Okay, how interesting was that? I mean, not only is he writing these fiction stories um, to, you know, maybe give some entertainment to pharmacists, but even just the general public might be able to get a glimpse into like what it is that is going on behind the counter um, in pharmacy and in healthcare in general. But I um, really hope you enjoyed that episode. I sure did. And I usually right about now will ask you to subscribe, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to ask you to tell a friend or, you know, ask a friend, you know, don't force anything, but tell a friend to subscribe. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Pharmacy.